Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Cheryl Moore, who is a veteran, mental wellness advocate, and community and corporate wellness provider. She began practicing yoga and meditation due to her own experiences with various health challenges while serving in the U.S. Army. Her background includes human resources, conflict coaching, diversity, and mindfulness in the workplace. Today, we're going to talk about the pros and cons of meditation. That's right. There are cons to meditating. Let's hop into today's episode with Cheryl. Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you back on. Thank you. what what excites me at this moment, because I was going through your website and looking at some of your old videos and things that you post, you talk about the not just the pros of meditating, but I also saw an interview with you talking about the cons of meditating. Mm-hmm. And and this resonates with me because there's a DJ, DJ Avicii. Uh, and he passed away. He ended his life. He, he was uh, in his uh, mid twenties. And oh, what was so interesting, yeah, and, you know, he was global. Like this, like he was before. He was doing stadiums. He had record deals. Like just uh, his career just skyrocketed. And towards the end, he was meditating, and he would meditate for hours mm. at times. And he would start to, they talked about him hallucinating and uh, dissociating and things of that nature. And then I also remember reading something about how um, some people get addicted to meditating because Mm -hmm. of the hallucinogenic uh, aspects of it. And that's something I don't think I've ever really touched upon uh, on the 500 episodes. I think just a little bit, but you really did a deep dive. Can you share with us? The, the cons of meditating? Yeah, it's something that, you know, I'm very, very impressed and surprised that you brought it up. It's not necessarily a lot of people bring up or like to even talk about. Sometimes we can turn a blind eye to just as good as a thing is, uh, there can be downsides to those things as well. And meditation is no different. There can be a downside to meditation because there's so many things different types of meditations that people can engage in. Um, And also people begin meditating for different reasons. So I always ask people, what is your reasoning behind wanting to cultivate a meditative practice? And what types of meditations are you being drawn to? Because meditation, as simple as it is, can possibly lead to harm if you're not careful. I don't want to scare anyone, but I also, I always caution people. I actually led a meditation with a corporate client of mine about a week ago. And I always, or at least I try to give a caution to people. And I'll just give an example. In this instance, I said that we were engaging in a reflective meditation which is a little different. I can explain that. But I said, you know, if different emotions, memories come up for you that make you feel unsafe or cause you to be in a state where you feel in like you're losing control, then you want to disengage and stop the meditation process. Because we can't just assume that our experience is everyone's experience. Everyone is coming to meditation with different types of life experiences and things that are common to us. Maybe in a meditative practice can be triggering to people. I'm very sensitive to that. If you looked at my website, you'll probably see that um, I'm a trauma-informed wellness uh, educator. So I'm very much aware that these wellness practices that are touted as good Um, If you are someone that is dealing with any type of emotional distress, any type of mental health disorders, diagnosed or undiagnosed, that these practices may not offer you the same benefit as someone that is maybe accustomed to the practice or someone that has already worked through some of uh, 
some issues that they may be facing that may come up in a meditative practice. You mentioned, so I, oh, go ahead. No, I said, I said a mouthful, so I'll let you talk for a moment. Uh, so in the beginning, you start off saying that it's important to know the reason why you're getting into a meditation. Uh, what are, I don't want to say positive and negative reasons, but what, what would be a strong reason to meditate? And then what would be reasons for meditating that might actually do more harm than good? So let me start with that last question. Some people see meditation and some people may pursue meditation as a way of escape. We, we all know that we live here in the present moment. And of course, we use things like entertainment and other things to escape. But when it, when it becomes prohibitive to you living in the present moment and progressing and growing as a human being, that's where it can uh, have some negative impact when you're using it as a form of escapism. Um, also for people that may have some type of diagnosed or undiagnosed trauma, meditation and the type of meditation can be very jarring for people. It can be dangerous if you don't feel safe and can actually cause people to have setbacks in their mental health journey if, not, if they're not able to proceed with caution. So the general public, I would say overall, from what I've seen just from my experience, most people, their intention of starting a meditative practice is just to cultivate a sense of health and well-being, meaning that I hear a lot of people say, my mind is super busy all the time. I can't stop my thoughts. I want to learn how to meditate to be able to become a little bit more aware of my thoughts and to be able to put things in perspective. And here's here's the thing, Leo, we all meditate, but we all don't meditate in a uh, with a sense of conscious awareness, meaning that we can go throughout the day in a negative loop of meditation, meditating on all the bad things that have happened to us, meditating on the past. Uh, we meditate by constantly telling that same story that happened 15 years ago to a different person. Uh, that is a form of meditation. So it's not all just sitting with your legs crossed and mental, but I'm meditating every time I tell that story to someone. Every time I get triggered, I want to mention, this is how Mary hurt me in um, 2006. This is what Mary did. That is a form of meditation. And so if we, if, if we begin to look a little deeper with meditation beyond just the the mental ability, and even think about what we're saying all day, we can really have a better understanding of, I have the ability to meditate, and am I meditating in a positive way? Am I talking about food all day? Am I talking about work all day? We could be meditating on work all day. Not to say that's positive or negative, but I'm just giving that example so that the average person can see you have a meditative practice that maybe you're unconsciously aware of. Wow, that's uh, such a powerful way to put it. And what comes to mind is this idea of when one is meditating, and please correct me if, if, if I'm inaccurate, is that the part of meditation is having a focal point, whether it's your breath or a mantra. And so what I hear you saying is if we're making our foc focal point work or if we're making our focal point food, then we are thereby meditating. We are bringing our awareness, our consciousness to this point of emphasis and letting that guide us through our day. You got it. You, you, summed, you summed it up very well. And I think that people that are new to meditation or the average person really, um, unfortunately, society doesn't do a good job with going a little bit deeper when it comes to meditative practices. It's kind of touted as a health and wellness tool um, it's been commodified and uh, meditation and wellness makes a lot of money. But when you look at just the, the basic components of meditation, I like to give this example. I see lots of people when I go to different types of wellness events, meditation retreats and whatnot, you can have a meditative practice, meaning that you may have the ability and you have practice enough that you can sit and you can meditate for hours and hours, just like you mentioned with the DJ. But having a meditative practice doesn't just end with the practice, but more so being able to use that as a foundation to live a more meditative lifestyle. 
these are these are concepts that I learned from my pastor who uh, really provided me with a really good foundation for Christian and biblical meditation. And so I see people that have a practice. And then as soon as the event is over, they go out and without judgment, but they're living crazy. <laughs> like you can't even, it's like, it was, it was confined to that event. It was confined to that practice, but the words that they speak and how they carry themselves throughout their life in the day is, has no bearing on that practice. It's, it's almost like you're just doing something and meditation is more about being. So we allow the, the doing to lot to move us into this sense of being more meditative as a person. There's there's no good to you sitting there meditating for an hour and then you walk out the door and you're going and cussing everybody out and have no patience, no compassion, no fruit comes from your meditative practice, which is one of the emphasis and one of the biggest differentiators between biblical and Christian meditation and secular forms of meditation. as a believer, as a Christian, I'm looking to bear fruit from my meditative practice, not just to be at peace and to be calm, but I'm looking for God to be able to cultivate within me a sense or deep of consciousness and awareness, those things that I read in the Bible so that they can come forth and bear fruit in my life so that it's not just confined to a practice, but it's my life. I am just now starting to and incorporate or integrate it in my life where and because I, I did I think I treated it separately like okay I it was like a, a thing to check off the box I meditated I journal I journal is done I'm good and now I can go and wild out you know it's almost <laughs> like when you watch those old mafia movies and you know they go to church on Sundays and they christen the baby and they do it to our fathers and then they go shoot up yeah. Whoever they got to go shoot up. And it's like, oh, there's a disconnect there. And mm-hmm. and as a culture, we've all been kind of fed that that of kind course. of imagery, right? Where it, it's separate and you, you don't see it integrated into our life. Um, <laughs> when <laughs> people meditate, there's this idea that they have to, they have to do it for hours. Um, the longer you meditate, the better. It's what I hear you saying is, it's it's really about setting a foundation and then taking it with you into your life for that day. So what you meditate on can change from day to day, right? I, I would Poss- assume, possibly. Yeah, possibly. You know, if you are a very structured person and you stick to a particular type of meditation, that certain type of meditation may have you know, it, it it may have certain parameters around it, like, you know, 20 minutes, you chant this particular word, or you remain focused on this sacred word. Like there's so many different types of meditation, but, but yes, it's, it's about, you know, a focal point, but it can change day to day. And I think that also I, I want to point out that when it comes to um, the meditation practice for the majority of people, especially um, because I don't want this to, um, I don't want it to make it seem like meditation does not have is scientifically proved health benefits. It definitely does. Some people do come to the meditative practice because there's a lot of science and research that supports you being able to um, change internal systems and conditions in your body, the way that you handle stress, the way that meditation helps improve your uh, your nervous system, uh, brain waves. All of this has been tested and documented through NIH and other types of organizations that do this type of research. So even if you're just doing it and you're not living it, you are reaping the benefits. And some people just for that 15 minutes or an hour, they want the benefits of calming their body down, uh, moving their brain waves from one level to the next. Uh, allowing their heart rate to slow down. And that can that can have positive effects within 10 minutes, 15 minutes or an hour. But if you want to go below meditation a little bit deeper than just the science and the surface levels and make it a lifestyle, that's what I'm talking about beyond just the health benefits that come initially with meditation. Yeah, you know, I've been in yoga classes 
where at the end there's a savasana mm-hmm. and uh, a guided meditation. And sometimes I will hear people weeping, crying, mm-hmm. sobbing. A lot of emotional triggers come up. And you talk about that, how sometimes when we sit down with ourselves to meditate, uh, we can be triggered in a guided meditation space. Uh, can you talk more about that? Yeah, you know, it can be, it, it, I've definitely seen it happen countless times. I don't even think people are expecting it a lot of times. That's why I think it needs to be a little bit more education around meditation, not necessarily around um, the benefits, because I think society's done a great job with expressing the health benefits of having a meditative practice. But some of the consequences and some of the potential experiences that you can have during the meditation process so that people aren't caught off guard. I find that sometimes people are caught off guard. So if you are someone that really doesn't have a practice where you just spend time with yourself, maybe you journal, you reflect, or you're kind of in touch with your emotions, moving your body, movement and meditation really go hand in hand. So movement can uh, lay the foundation for you easing into a meditative practice, which causes you to turn your attention inward. And now those feelings, emotions, and memories that are not at the forefront of your mind when you're at work, they come up to the surface. And they come up to the surface a number of ways through emotions, through crying, through laughter, through sadness, through wanting to get away from the situation. Sometimes people are just silently crying. Some people are moving their bodies in different ways. And triggering doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. It just depends on what your experience has been with trauma and if you have properly processed it or not with a professional mental health therapist. But for some people in the classes that I've seen, it's things that are very common, people that have experienced death of a loved one and maybe never really fully got a chance to grieve during that quiet period at the end of Shavasana, also known as final relaxation, uh, the heaviness of that reality begins to come up and bubble up to the surface. And what comes up wants to come out and it can come out just a number of ways through wailing, through sobbing, through tears, through being confused, being frustrated, through just a number of different ways, because as human beings, we have so many different emotions. But what is so important for myself and other practitioners that work in the yoga wellness space is to create a safe space for that person, since this is what they're experiencing is outside of my subject matter expertise. I'm simply there to allow, to hold space for that person, to offer them support and in a way that works for them. And then to explain what this this process can look like with meditation that will make them feel safe enough and comfortable enough to maybe talk it over with a therapist or someone that they love and trust. Yeah, well, I've always felt like there should be a a therapist attached to every yoga studio because I, I feel like there are times I feel so open and so vulnerable after yeah. the, especially after like Bikram yoga, you know, it's like 90 minutes of intense heat. And then you're kind of, I kind of feel thrust out into this loud, noisy. I, I live in, you know, I was living in LA. And so now okay. it's like the honking horns and the, you know, the, the chaos of the world. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, I felt so cocooned and safe just a second <laughs> ago. And you're like, what is this bright light? It's so much sometimes. It could be a bit jarring. Um, it, it it can be jarring. And I think that you have the right idea. There has to be when you're teaching these types of classes to have some type of another type of support system is to offer a safe space, but maybe to have a list of resources that is available uh, to your students. On my website, I, I've partnered and looked at different organizations. And so I have a list of different resources on my website if people want to pursue a therapist, maybe someone that is African-American or a woman and the like, or maybe they're a veteran. I have uh, an array of different types of organizations 
that can offer support beyond what yoga and meditation offers in just a regular class. And you you talked about being open. That's one of the things that can be dangerous. So when you attend like a public class or a regular a wellness event, you do, the majority of the people, not everyone feels safe and cocoon, but how do you then go out into the world? And in that cocoon space, you are open. You are open to your own thoughts that are rising up from the subconscious. You're open to good thoughts and bad thoughts. And as uh, some Christians believe, you can even just be open to darkness to evilness if you're not careful if you're not grounded uh in yourself in your faith in some type of way so i think that the caution is not so much that meditation can be bad but the caution is that the meditative practice can open you up and you need to be use discretion in what you're opening yourself up to and the teacher or the facilitator that is there how they can offer support in that and um, you being open. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, meditation and movement go hand in hand and, yeah. and can open you up so much. I heard Mark Zuckerberg talk about how he hoverboards on a, on a daily basis. He said he can't sit and meditate. He, he has to, be moving and and for him that's a form of meditation can you speak more to that this idea that meditation isn't just about sitting and chanting and being still and quiet yes this is one of kind of my favorite topics within a topic um yeah, and it doesn't just come with a yoga practice. It, I've been been able to expand my language beyond it, and I really gravitate just towards movement athletes, whether you're a professional athlete or amateur, um, whether you're a hobbyist. Movement is a soundtrack of all our of of our lives, and it can be movement can be a meditative practice. Something as simple as walking, a walking meditation, can place you in that. Um, that flow state, as it's kind of called in the scientific world, and that flow state, uh, I experienced it myself when I served in the military and I would run a lot. Uh, you have that runner's high, that also is a flow state or a meditative state, hoverboarding. And I have uh, something uh, that I want to share that I was very surprised on. You know, you can find so many things on Netflix, but I was watching a Netflix documentary talking about divers. I'm I'm a swimmer, but not the best swimmer. So I'm definitely not a diver. But it was giving intricate details about how divers are just addicted to something that is so dangerous, but also so beautiful. And the young lady that was describing her experience was basically talking about a deep dive and how you literally feel the ocean, the water, um, almost cocooning you that that pressure but the pressure felt good and as she's diving down that pressure is pulling her and she she described it as very meditative and then going back up to the surface um that that euphoric that flow state even happens in some of the most what some people would consider dangerous types of sports uh, you can still have that meditative experience. And I think that if people would begin to look outside of the sitting with your legs crossed, like Zuckerberg mentioned, and look at your day-to-day -day activities, whether it's gardening, walking, running, cycling, it can be meditative when you really focus in on the movement, the repetitive movement, the sound, the beat, movement. Music can be meditative. Music can definitely put you into a meditative state. And it's just different for, for every person. But movement is the most basic way to just allow yourself to move from this realm of consciousness more to this unconscious state. Now, when you're walking or you're running, you, you are aware of your surroundings, but there's a sense of turning your attention inward that you're still aware of your surroundings, but you've entered into that flow state. It's kind of hard to, to describe, but if you've ever had a runner's high or 
or something like that, that's what it feels like. Like you're in tune and you are connected inside and out during that activity. I have often thought that yoga and meditation, that those practices started in India, but I've heard you say they actually were rooted in Africa. Can you speak to that? So I don't have a, um, I definitely would not be the person to give um, a history lesson on yoga, um, but there are um, forms of yoga called comedic yoga that definitely um, have a basis and can probably share some really great information about how the roots of yoga um, progress to India, but there are artifacts and, and documentation that suggests that um, it actually started in Africa. And one of the forms of yoga that really supports that is comedic yoga. Oh, I've never heard of comedic yoga. I have to check that out. Yeah, it, it sounds African. It sounds strong. Yes, like it, it is. Like it came out of Egypt or something like that. Mm -hmm. The You talked about yoga, movement, meditation as being part of your foundational work. Are there other aspects to your foundational work? Yes, I mean, as I as I'm getting older, I'm evolving. I'm actually getting ready to to do some some training in Pilates, which has been very helpful for me. I had a surgery earlier this year and found Pilates has been very helpful with me building up uh, the core strength that I lost during the surgery. Um, finding different ways of movement that don't traditionally fall within maybe a yoga category, such as mobility and flexibility is really big nowadays. Um, being able to, now that people are kind of familiar with yoga, um, everything doesn't necessarily have to fall in that category. So um, I may call something a mobility routine, a flexibility stretch, a flexibility routine. Um, all types of movement, but not necessarily tied to a particular um, a, a, a particular modality like a yoga or Pilates, like Jeffrey um, Joseph Pilates, but just things that have morphed and have kind of um, kind of manifested in different ways are kind of all being put together. And I'm just kind of all for it. Uh, ultimately, my goal is to help people become healthier mind, body, and spirit. And that can come through yoga. It can come through Pilates. It can happen through doing mobility routines, flexibility stretches. Uh, so I'm for it all, as long as it helps to, uh, helps to make the body stronger and helps people to feel more safe and confident in their bodies, not from an egotistical standpoint. So I'm definitely not in the space of like helping people to lose weight or different things that can be very superficial doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, not a bad thing, but more so in depth with the way that God created us tending to the soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions, which I think meditation and movement addresses the physical body, definitely the movement. And then the spirit man, the 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 life of the the breath of God living within us through Christian and biblical meditation. Uh, so those those are kind of my focus areas. For someone who's never meditated and mm -hmm. they don't maybe not have access to uh, a, a, a practitioner, what are the basics of meditation? Is it is it just you just say just sit there and let your mind go or <laughs> Are there like, here are the five basic, you know, what are those, what are the basics? Oh, that's such a loaded question because there's, you know, there's so many different types. So let me, let me give this a try. So I'm going to start with guided and unguided. That's why, that's well, where I would start because I think most people are familiar with that. When you see people just sit and you don't see people around and they're maybe sitting with their eyes closed and you may have the impression they're meditating, that can be categorized as an unguided or an open meditation, meaning that they're, they're, self, they're just self-guiding themselves. A lot of people with the rise in meditation apps, 
would like some guidance, someone to talk them through how to begin to notice their breath, how to begin to sequence their breath, and how to just relax their physical body. It's hard to meditate when you're like really uptight. This is more so known as a passive form of meditation. So you're not necessarily moving. You may be sitting in a chair, you may be lying down, but you're not moving on a hoverboard or you're not running. So guided, unguided, or open. And then from there, you can move into the realm of a guided meditation tends to be passive, meaning you're not moving aggressively. Um, And then from there, uh, I'll just speak on with a guided meditation. It's just really about bringing awareness to your mind. I mean, awareness to your breath, to your physical body, so that you can begin to turn your attention inward in a safe space and begin to either find a focal point, uh, whether it be a word, a topic, whatever the parameters of that meditation is, that's kind of the basis for meditation. And when you talk about unguided and open, that can be open for anything. That can be open to you just fantasizing, using your imagination, Um, but that can also be present in a guided meditation. Guided meditation can lead you through words, through a topic, and through imagery. So someone describing a forest, a beach setting, also known as visualization. But all you really need is just yourself. You don't have to have a quiet space. You don't have to be burning candles. The, The lights don't have to be dim. Those are all nice and is very helpful for most of the people. But you really just want to have an intention that for the next 10 or 15 minutes, um, I'm going to give this meditation process a try. I'm going to listen to the facilitator and I'm going to bring awareness to my breath, relax my body and follow the guidance of the facilitator. Now I can tell you one thing when it comes to guided meditations, it can, it can get tricky because some people don't like guided meditations maybe because they don't resonate with that person's voice. It can be so subjective. I myself will say that my preference is for a female voice. Some people I know, they love to listen to a male or a man to do a, to give a meditation. The voice, the inclination, the tone helps them to relax. So that can even be very subjective and can have an impact on your meditative experience where you think, oh, I just can't meditate. Maybe it was the voice. It was the wrong voice. And then some people don't like voices at all. They want to just do their own guide, their own self-guided meditation, which I like to do a lot. I don't like to meditate with music. Of course, you can meditate with music. Music can sometimes be distracting and you're moving your attention inward to the song, to the lyrics, to the beat which can be viewed as some as escapism. So we're not trying to escape what's happening. We're trying to draw attention and awareness to what's going on within our heart and our minds. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. I, I like to mix it up for sure. Sometimes I yeah. need a guide and I'm like, I need somebody to talk to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I mix it up between a man or a woman and uh, music in the background. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, 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 but Wednesday, I've been doing this since college for like 20 years. And I think, oh, wow. So, so you have a of, lot of meditation experience. A, a lot of meditation experience. Yeah. And, and But what's beautiful is I'm still learning. It's like any practice where um, it, it's evolved over time, where I used to pride myself on um, sitting for an hour. And, and I'm recognizing that using it intermittently throughout my day uh, is become more powerful and impactful. You know, one of the things that have helped me in those moments where I'm meditating and these emotions come up that um, are intense is I like to journal right afterwards. I find that keeping a journal nearby, because like you said, oftentimes old memories will surface. And and you said what comes up wants to come out. And if if there's not a therapist or, or a friend I feel safe enough to share with, I find that um, putting it down in my journal so that I can come back to it and maybe share it with my therapist, uh, you know, when we do have our sessions, that's the place for it. It's really uh, about knowing that I have a safe place to share. Yes. I love that. Do you incorporate journaling? 
Yes. I mean, when, when I can, um, especially when I'm engaged in a passive form of meditation, maybe, you know, sometimes I miss it. If I'm doing a walking meditation, I just go right into something else. But typically if I'm doing a passive form of meditation where I'm sitting, I'm listening to someone or I'm guiding myself is, is very common and easy for me to go right into journaling what I experienced, what I felt, uh, what may have come up for me, even if it's nothing at all, just being able to to write it down is very helpful. What, you know, we've had you on before, but for the listeners who are, who have not listened to that episode yet, because I'm sure after this, you'll go back and check out our first episode. Um, what What drew you into this field of work? <laughs> so what what drew me in was just my own personal health challenges. I don't really have a a really nice uh packaged answer, but it really was just it was selfish. I was in the military at the time and dealing with some health challenges, osteoarthritis to be exact. And I was really looking for ways just to deal with these flare-ups that I was experiencing. I had never felt this type of pain before. I'm a pretty active person and coming from an active background, but I was always able to kind of recover pretty quickly in my youth from dancing to running track. Um, I was able to recover, but in this instance, while I was in the military, um, I was having excruciating back pain where I was not recovering. This was not just um, a sprain or my body being tired and I just need to rest and ice. This was chronic, a chronic illness, chronic pain, which I never had experience with. So my doctor, we had some free yoga classes on base. Of course they had meditation at the end. And I was like, at that point, I'll try it. <laughs> I'll try it. Not to mention it was free. And so that's, that's pretty much was the stepping stone to me getting into the wellness space. I was not familiar with it beforehand. I was always drawn to very active type movement. Like I said, I, I danced. Um, I was involved in track in middle school. So I understood movement, but not from a mind-body perspective, which is very different than running, spinning, Zumba, things that I was familiar with. This this felt very different. You mentioned you have a injury now that you're recovering from. Can you say more to that? So not necessarily injury, but I have a diagnosis of osteoarthritis um, for those that are aware, you know, uh, probably I think it's like 80 or more than 80 or 90 percent of Americans deal with this form of arthritis. It doesn't just creep up, you know, when you're 60 or 70 years old. Some people think about arthritis as an old person's disease, but it's not. Um, I was in my late 20s uh, when I received this diagnosis. So it anyone that's familiar with uh, chronic pain, if there are flares, so you can be in a state where things feel fine, and then you can have a flare that can last from a few hours to a few weeks or a few months. Um, and it's chronic. So it, it it comes and goes, and it kind of becomes the kind of the rhythm and a part of your life. And what's most important is um, how you deal with those flares. And when you are not in a flare state, how you are uh, working with your body and using tools to help decrease the number of flares that you experience. Has that uh, affected your dietary requirements or needs? Are, are there adjustments that you've made to reduce it or to manage it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there have definitely been adjustments to my diet. Um, I don't always, <laughs> don't always adhere to them, but, um, you know, when it comes to osteoarthritis, um, I definitely try to do better with fruits and vegetables, uh, remaining low on additional sugars because um, inflammation pretty much can like eat off of sugar. So those are the some of the key things that are always at the forefront of my mind, just trying to get in more fruits and vegetables. Of course, protein is great, but decreasing added sugars and making sure I stay properly hydrated, drinking lots and lots of water, and that I move. That even during a flare, there's probably some type of movement that I can engage in 
um, to just help me recover from that flare better and better each and every time. Is it impacting your sleep in any way? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, which is why most of the time I incorporate some type of movement in the in the evening. I love evening movement. It helps me to sleep better. Um, one school of thought when I was in the military, it was like, run, run, run till you run yourself crazy. And sleep was so sweet because my body was exhausted. Well, when I was able to discover these other uh, mind-body modalities, I realized that movement can be utilized in a different way where I don't have to run my body ragged and I just fall out because I'm tired, but I can engage in movement that can help my body feel more safe. I've properly lubricated my joints and moved in a way that helps me go to sleep and stay asleep. Most of the times when people are dealing with chronic pain, they wake up from a sleep due to having to shift their position because of pain. So I find that when I have some type of movement in the evening, I'm able to stretch, twist, move my body before I go to sleep so that I have more restful sleep and less, uh, less interruptions. Do you struggle with um, ruminating thoughts at night? I know we, we touched on this a bit earlier, but I find that a lot of people who struggle with sleep um, they struggle with finding ways to disrupt it or distract themselves. Do you have tools or coping mechanisms for that? I definitely do. I have a friend that just shared with me recently that she, her thoughts are going all the time at night and that it's been like this for years, so much so that she thought it was the norm. And um, for myself, in addition to movement at night, I find that meditation is so sweet in the evening as well. And when you make it intentional, it can definitely have a positive impact on your sleep and your thought life. Um, one of the things that I do, everyone doesn't have to do this, is I try to read scriptures or something positive before going to bed, making sure that I have a buffer between the time that I go to bed and I let go of electronics, meaning the phone and TV, and begin to turn my attention inward by using books by journaling before bed, that allows anything that you've been consuming and meditating on, whether it was a show, a documentary, a movie, it allows time and space for your mind to let go of that and begin to embrace and hold on to something else as you ease into sleep. Uh, many people say they don't dream anymore. Um, they have racing thoughts throughout the night, or they feel very anxious at night. And I find that the same way that you begin your day, lots of people love to do devotionals and they have very good, strong morning routines, but they don't have an evening routine, which is just as important as how you end your day. People go to bed thinking about work, thinking about the coworker that made them upset. They take all their problems to, to bed with them. And so I think just like we have a morning routine, we need an evening routine where we move and meditate, we work and process all the things that happen throughout the day, and we're able to let them go so that we can embrace sleep. So some type of process or way for you to process your day, I think is helpful for people that have issues with sleep and racing thoughts. Because if you don't process it, it's like the day never ends and you just take it to bed with you. Yeah, it's beautifully said. Yeah, I, I've definitely have made it a practice of one, not bringing my cell phone into the bedroom with me. Um, because a lot of people use that as their alarm clock. And I mm -hmm. just decided to buy an alarm clock. And then <laughs> two. Old school. Yeah, yeah. old school, right? Um, and then two, I read an hour before bed and and like you said there's it's kind of a way of emptying out my mind and then three I also like to journal before bed i find mm -hmm. sometimes meditating before bed activates my brain too much and then mm -hmm. i find myself awake so i don't know if it's that i need to journal or meditate an hour before bed as opposed okay. to right before bed you know, I would have to play with the time on it and then also maybe the length of it. But uh, but what I have found to be effective is uh, uh, NSDR, Yoga Nidra. 
not in the yes, CR. Yes, yes. I was just so, going to say something yeah, around yeah. those lines. Yeah. yeah. Yoga Nidra is very uh, calming for me. Uh, can you speak more to Yoga Nidra before bed? Yes. Yoga Nidra, also known as Yoga Sleep. Um, is something that people can incorporate into their nighttime routine. People have found it very beneficial and helpful. And if you're like, oh, I don't know what that Nidra stuff is about. I don't know about that kind of stuff. You got sleep stories. So um, there's uh, been an increase in moving from reading stories to children to having meditations that are all around sleep stories, stories that people create and write or sleep stories from the Bible or different types of books. And the whole premise is that you don't have to just be actively awake for the story. You let someone as an adult read a sleep story to you as you fall asleep. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And I do it um, before I get into bed. Oh, um, before. Okay. I, yeah, I don't I don't do it in. Well, you know, we used to listen to bedtime stories in bed and but now I've been able to train my brain to disrupt any ruminating thoughts and focus instead on replaying my day or recalling oh, my day instead calling. of ruminating on a moment in my day. Right. Or ruminating is like this one instance where somebody cut me off and now. <laughs> I'm, I'm so angry about it and I, I'm trying to figure, you know, I just keep replaying it over and over. But recalling my day is is more soothing and calming where I'm literally going through my entire day and be like, OK, what did I eat for breakfast? What was that podcast about? Like there's something very calming about recalling my day versus ruminating on a specific moment that that tucks me in. And then on the other side is I, I know that. Sometimes people have talked about, you know, thinking about the future can be anxiety uh, producing. But for me, the way I think about the future is hot is um, with curiosity. So mm -hmm. with the books that I'm reading, even the TV shows that I watch, I ask my brain, what do I think is going to happen in the next episode? Or where is this character going to go? So yeah. I'm controlling the future thinking versus being feeling besieged or attacked by future thoughts and 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 of tomorrow that's really helpful recall your day i think that whoever is you know listening to this podcast if this seems to resonate with you definitely try that recalling your day and i think that that will provide a better foundation for being able to let go and ease into sleep because we we need sleep. It's not it's it's not an option. <laughs> right. And I got that from uh, the Indian practice. They call it the daily mandala. So in India, oh. it's called a mandala, I believe, where like you just right. kind of objectively recall your day, and uh, mm. and so it's been very soothing. Is there any part of your journey, Cheryl, as we're wrapping up, that we haven't discussed mm -hmm. that you think would be of value to people who want to meditate? You know, I think that I think you've done a great job with your questions and we've we've definitely covered a lot and have given people a lot to chew on. I think that one of the things that I would like to end with is here in the United States in the West, I can't speak to other countries, but we sometimes put a lot of pressure on ourselves in everything. Anything that we undertake especially as adults and I want to just encourage people out there, if you were um, a child and maybe you never had the experience of trying out for sports or something like that, begin to have a childlike mindset. If you've ever been involved with group sports or group activities, you know that you go to practice every week. Every week is a practice to just get better and better. And so taking that premise in with you as it relates to meditation, meditation is simply a practice that you simply get better at over time. Many times people, some of the biggest mistakes are people discard um, intentional meditation because I've said before, we are meditating unintentionally throughout the day, but creating an intentional meditative practice. We shortchange ourselves by not giving ourselves enough time. 
Okay, that's one thing, meaning that you try it for a week and you're like, oh, it doesn't work. A week is not enough time. Uh, time in the sense of sometimes we try meditating for five minutes and, oh, it didn't work. But maybe you have so much built up stress, tension, or trauma that your body needs just 10 minutes to soften to just wind down. Everyone is different. And so I find that one of the, the, the most common mistakes or barriers to people just kind of discarding meditation is time and the type of meditation. They, uh, people will try one type of meditation and there's a broad brush around no meditation is not good because you had you decided to do this open type of meditation that you feel like you didn't get any benefit out of so do your research consider time consider how much time you give it over the course one piece of advice that my pastor and my meditative guide provided me when i started the journey was to find one technique or type of meditation and stick with it tried and true for 6 months which I did. Mm. And then after the six months, begin to broaden out into different types. Because if you're doing three or four different types of meditations, you don't know what's going to, you don't know which one is really helping you. Um, and you can just get flustered and frustrated when you're doing a bunch of different things at one time. So think about your time, think about your commitment to the practice, and then just, just consider um, your intention behind. Uh, the technique that you have chosen. That's what I would leave everyone with. And to just be encouraged, just practice, just like you were a kid. An ultimate question. I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? Wow. I would let them know that their existence isn't by happenstance, that they were created for a purpose among the billions of people that are here. There is no one like them and that they are here for a purpose and they have an assignment. And it is my hope that they will have enough strength for the day to seek out the assignment that is specifically for them. Last question. What are you looking forward to in the next 24 hours? Oh, wow. I am looking forward to getting outside. <laughs> I haven't been outside today, so I'm looking forward to taking a walk and just enjoying the crispness in the air the the is fall here in the dc metro area and the nights are the walks are really nice it's not too hot it's not too cold it's just right <laughs> i love it thank you cheryl for joining us thank you listeners for tuning in remember this podcast is not a substitute for calling the 988 or any of the other 800 numbers listed in the show notes you can chat talk text you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one -on -one coaching with yours truly Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you.